So last week we talked about how Jesus said that the way the world would know that we are Christians, we are followers of him, we are believers, was by one thing, was by our love. And last week we talked as well about the fact that there, we should, there, be, there should be no illusion as to how difficult it really is to love the way that Jesus teaches us how to love. That kind of love is the kind that turns the other cheek. It's the kind that says, I'm going to walk the extra mile with you. It's the kind that says, I'm going to loan without expecting anything in return. There are no strings. There are no conditions. And it's just a crazy love that's completely opposite and upside down what the rest of the world says that love is. And, of course, we learned a clear description of love that we've looked at so many times that we need to keep looking at over and over again. I took a picture of it. I put it up in my office, 1 Corinthians 13, just slapped it up there. Because it's something we need to meditate on and we need to think through. We need to continually have in front of our eyes and in our minds because things like love being patient, again, we could have stopped there and spent a lifetime working on that, at least in my life. How do I be patient? How do I be kind? Here's a couple of strong ones right here, keeping no record of wrongs. How many of you still to this day have a list? You don't always admit it out loud of things that people have done and you just know. And when you get in those arguments, you go back to that time and you raise up. Oh, well, I remember when you did this. Oh, really, you're upset about me about this? Well, I still remember. I have never forgotten. That's not love. Love keeps no record of wrongs. It is not easily angered. And in the version that we read last week in the ESV, it says it's not irritable. I realize, man, what is irritability? It's that, it's that, it's that getting angry quickly. It's that, right? That's not what love is. The most difficult thing, I think, in all of this that we've learned as of last week is that love is like this. The motive behind what you are doing to express love matters. The motive matters. Doing the right thing on the outside without a genuine loving heart on the inside is worthless. If you're not genuine, if you don't truly love when you're doing something, it's worthless. And I begin to think, what's a good illustration of this? And there are so many, but sometimes when you're putting things down, you've got you to spend some time thinking. I know I do this all the time, but give me an example to share. I just want you to imagine a husband and a wife that always disagree on where they go out to eat for lunch today, for example, right? Get ready to leave here, and you're always like, she wants sushi. This isn't, this is hy- truly hypothetical, actually, okay. She wants sushi, the husband wants Italian, let's say, and so they go back and forth, and it seems like the guy always gets his way, right? Uh, he always, we're always eating Italian all the time. Actually, it's the other way for me. This is why it's hypothetical. So much for hypothetical, now we're sharing two stories. She wants sushi, he wants Italian, seems like he always gets his way in this example, but this time it's different. She is surprised that he is willing so quickly to say, sure, I'll have sushi tonight without any kind of fight. And so he says, I love you, honey. You should really have sushi tonight. I don't always need to get my way. I have to read this because I know this is the right thing to say. That's what he would have said. So the wife really feels loved thinking about this, right? Knowing that he sacrificed what he wanted for her. 
until she realizes that the only reason that he agreed so quickly is because when they left the restaurant, he wanted to swing by a nearby store that happened to have a big sale on TVs. He just wanted an excuse. Well, you know, honey, we should really swing by here because there's a great sale on TVs. There's a great sale on golf clubs. You know, I haven't got... And so when she sees that motivation bleed through, right, what happens? The love that she felt, the specialness that she felt in saying, honey, I'm going to sacrifice what I want this time for you is all of a sudden meaningless. Motivation matters. The heart matters. It is not real without that true motivation, that heart of love. And we're going to be talking about the heart today. The love that proves that we are Christians is the kind that does that, that comes from the heart. And the challenging and the scary thing is, is that it's something that cannot be manufactured. It's not something that you just turn the switch on, you, you kind of whip it up, and there it is. And the world in particular sees right through it. And those that are in our lives closest to us, like our wives and our kids, they see through it the quickest. They can see the motivation. They see straight through the heart. It's like how, how, how cats and dogs sense fear. You know, they just see it. They sense it. They know it. They can tell that something is genuine or not. And so... Here it is. We see hearts this time of year everywhere, don't we? And for good reason, guys, a very special day, by the way, is coming up. Just giving you fair warning, and some of you are like, huh? I hope not. Valentine's Day, right, is right around the corner. Some of you just gasped. Justin, it's going to be all right. I always have to bring up Justin in the sermon. I don't know why. It's probably just because he's in my sight, the vision. He has this big beard that cannot be denied. That's it, Davey. I'm calling you out next. (laughs) So depending, guys, on what you decide to do for that special lady this time, decide what you you decide to do for her, do for her, she will know whether or not it's genuine, whether or not it's from the heart. Remember 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. This is where we kind of wrapped this up last week, and it said this, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels... But have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal, okay? And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, I deliver up my body to be burned. I give up everything, right? But have not love, I gain nothing. Motivation matters, The heart matters. Motivation matters, and God is looking at your heart. You think about it, the heart is the core of of who we are. And that's a scary thing when we consider this verse out of Jeremiah, because this is what God has to say. He says that the heart is deceitful above all things, sometimes even deceitful to us. We don't really know why sometimes we're doing the things we do the way we feel the way that we do. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And it says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. At one point, Jesus is teaching the disciples about what really matters. 
He's, he's, t- he's going to tell them an, another illustration about the heart. <clears throat> and basically, these, the Pharisees were upset at this particular time because the disciples were not taking part in the ceremonial washing of hands. Basically, before they ate, you know, we still think it's a great idea to wash hands, but this is elevated. It was like a spiritual custom, if you will. Okay? And the Pharisees were upset because the disciples weren't doing it. You know? I'm not sure exactly what it would have looked like. I haven't seen a lot of descriptions. It's not, I don't know, maybe they walked up to a bowl and went like this, you know, and put their hands in and threw it up. I don't know. But it was a ceremonial washing. Okay? And so the Pharisees were ticked off that they weren't doing it. They weren't participating in the traditions. This is not something that God said that you needed to do before you ate. And so it's kind of like this. I remember being in a Baptist church, and I've shared this story before. Maybe you haven't heard it, so I'm going to tell it again because it's a great story. But I remember with communion in the Baptist churches that I had been to, there were some that really took this to the nth degree. And at the very front where the communion was, in front of the, the pulpit, there was a table there, and they had the communion laid out. And over the top of it was this beautiful white linen cloth. And I remember they would call the deacons forward. You know, they'd walk up all important. And they would take that thing and they would fold it up ceremonially as if it was a flag. And I think some of them even just kind of, you know, you want to fold it like a flag. It was just kind of like, wow, this is just, what's the deal with that cloth? That cloth must, must have been around since, you know, Jesus was in the tomb or something. It's pretty special and important. And I remember, you know, talking to uh, my pastor at the time, pastor friend actually, about that. And he's like, yeah, that was a long time ago. Basically, they put that sheet over the Jews to stop the flies from getting to it. That's the only reason that it was ever there. There's no special meaning behind the white cloth. All it was used for was just to sit over the Jews to keep the flies away from it. But they had made it some kind of spiritual ceremony almost, as if it was truly and highly regarded and important. And so the Pharisees are ticked off in the same kind of way, though, with with the disciples because they're not folding up the cloth the right way, if you will. They're not taking, you know, this time to spiritually wash their hands. And look at what Jesus has to say about this. Jesus says, Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? How often do you read scriptures like that? I want to give you a little insight, too. And the Greek is really cool because it says, basically, Jesus says, do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth, in other words, what you eat, passes into the stomach and is expelled, it is expelled into the toilet, is what Jesus actually says. What you eat goes into the mouth and you poop it out and it goes in the toilet, okay? It's gone. But then Jesus says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come these kinds of things. Come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are the things that come out of the heart. You need to quit worrying so much about washing your hands in a spiritual way and worry about what's actually in your heart. What's in there? What's the condition of your heart? And what's so scary about this is whatever's in the heart comes out eventually. It might take some time, but it will come out. At times, it kind of seeps out slowly. You know, you're talking to someone, they say something, you kind of like a little double take, but then it's right back to normal. It kind of seeps out, okay? But other times, <coughs> other times under pressure, it kind of suddenly pops out like a beach ball you've been trying to sit on in the pool. 
Just have those moments where it just goes, blah, and I am. This is me right now, and this is how I feel, and you're just going to have to deal with it. Have you ever had one of those I've had it moments? We've all had them, haven't we? I was talking to Jeff the other day, my brother-in-law Jeff, and he had one of those I had it moments. We were eating lunch yesterday, and he proceeds to tell me this great story as we're talking about food service as we're sitting there. And Jeff hates pickles. Does not want pickles on his burger. How many people don't like pickles? Any other pickle haters in the crowd? Okay. You guys have to get together and talk afterwards. But the thing about them is, you know, it's not like two. Then you put them on a burger. Once they touch the burger, you pull it off. I'll take it off your pickles. And there's still pickle juice there. You can taste it, right? You pickle haters. Jeff would go there constantly. This restaurant knew what he liked and what he did not like, and they knew that he hated pickles. Pickle haters unite. He had that moment where he bites into this burger and he realizes there's like five or six pickles on there when there's probably only supposed to be two, so it's like, meh, in his face. At least that's how he viewed it at the time. I've had enough of this crap. I ask every time not to have pickles. So he grabs the pickles, slides them off the bun, drives around through the drive-thru, and throws them at the window. (laughs) Two of them fall on the ground. Three of them are just stuck there. I've had it. Eventually, right, what's on the inside, even if it's just pickles, is going to come out. It's going to come out. That's what's so scary about what is the condition of our heart. That's the important question that we need to ask ourselves this morning. What condition is your heart in? And I'm going to really make it difficult on you this week because... I want you to think about this sermon every time you see a heart for the rest of this week. They're going to be everywhere, on TV, through the grocery store, uh, just, just hearts everywhere. They were hanging up from the nursing home last week. You're going to be surrounded. What state is your heart in? Now, we've all been there. No one's picking on Jeff. I've had those moments, too. It's kind of brilliant, actually, but I kind of like pickles, so I'm not going to be with you with that. But I want you to think about this. Jesus shares this passage of Scripture I want to look at with you today, too. And we think about this passage of Scripture when it comes to people hearing the gospel, when they come to hear the good news, when they come to understand what Jesus has to say. But I still believe that this applies in general to the condition, to the status of our hearts, because that's really what he's talking about. It's this parable of the sower. You've probably heard this parable before. And the parable of the sower is basically like this. He talks, Jesus talks about someone going out and casting the seed. This, the sower sowing the seed throws it out. The seed, of course, is the word of God. It's the, it's, the, it's the truth. And that's really our jobs is to be sowers, is to go out and to share the word of God. But today, even as believers, you're still sitting here hearing the word of God, what it has to say. How will it be received today? So Jesus talks about this and and talks about basically the seed falls in in a few different places and it has a different kind of response. It has a different kind of reaction when the truth is shared. It says, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. So there's one, one example of that. 
<coughs> Excuse me. And this is the seed that's sown along the path. So path, first one. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. Because when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, because of living for Jesus, right, they quickly fall away. And the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But, in verse 23, it says, As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. And of course, understanding is hearing it, thinking about it, okay? And this guy's going to act on it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, in another 60, and in another 30. And really what Jesus is talking about here is the condition of mankind's hearts at different times. We have the, we have the path and the path, if you think about it, if you've ever tried to grow grass, which seems to me like an impossibility, I'd much rather get sod, you know, you try to throw out some seed. If it lands on that hard-packed seed, it's not getting in. It's not doing anything. It's not going to grow. The other one basically is kind of like landing in gravel. You've probably thrown some stuff. You see stuff pop up for a little bit, and then the next thing you know, it's gone. Doesn't really have much root to it. Doesn't have much depth to it. But then there's another seed that begins to grow up, but then there's weeds around it, right? And that's the hard part about growing some stuff because you have to deal with the weeds. The weeds choke things out. That's why I think Diane and I probably don't have a garden, even though we don't have a lot of area for that. But if we did, we'd have weeds everywhere. And no one wants to deal with that crap. Bending over, pulling out, doing the hard work, right? But you have to do that if something is going to grow. The other one, of course, is the good soil. It's a soil that if you know anything about growing stuff is just just your dream rich soil that's loose and rich and you know if you put a seed in there and cover it up and you water that thing that it's going to take off it's going to grow it's going to respond the way that it should respond in many ways our hearts are very similar to this now this is geared towards the gospel and sharing the gospel but our hearts kind of act the same way at times there are times we've had a hard heart did you ever come to church and not necessarily here, but anywhere and just kind of, you know, almost see it, the arms crossed? Yeah, I'm here. I'm here because this is probably the, quote, right thing to do. It's the cultural thing today. Didn't want to be here, but I'm here. Maybe there's a moment like the rest of the two, the, the gravel and the, you know, the gravel, because like you get excited about it. Okay, well, yeah, I'll do this. <coughs> And you've already forgotten about it by the time lunch is served. You're like, oh, chicken wings? And the truth is just gone. It's like, you know, I considered it for a little bit. I was excited about putting something into action, but eh. The other, the other thing is really difficult. This is probably what most of us deal with. As we hear the truth, it takes seed and, it, and it's growing. But then there's some difficulties. There's some troubles. There's some difficult things to deal with. And it's described like these weeds that begin to kind of choke things out. 
There are all kinds of worries in our life. There are all kinds of distractions and things that pull us away from being fruitful believers in Christ and having a heart that is soft and fertile and ready for God's word to truly grow and to blossom and to take over. What is the condition of our hearts this morning? There's a, there's a verse in Proverbs that's pretty interesting. It says, blessed is the one who fears the Lord always. And when fear is used in the Bible, it's not like you're scared of God. It's more of a healthy respect and an honor. That's what fear means there. It's just he who worships, who fears, who reveres, who holds up God. That's important. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always. But whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. A hard heart does not receive. A hard heart does not listen, does it? And that's a huge problem when it comes to relationships. The relationships of those closest to us, of our spouses, of our, of our children, of our coworkers. And with that hard heart, with those moments that are there, when the time comes for us to throw pickles, right, Jeff? We are going to throw as many as we can get a hold of. That's what hard hearts do. They bounce off and we just go to town. Where is it? Where is your heart right now? The problem is, is as we looked at that verse earlier, the Bible says the heart is, is, is desperately wicked. It's deceitful at times. You ever lied to yourself and you realize later on how often you've been lying to yourself? No, this thing is really okay in my life. Or, this is really going to be all right. We lie to ourselves all the time. <clears throat> we need to hear the truth. We need to hear that truth as uncomfortable as it is because when we hear the truth, let me just read this verse first. In Hebrews chapter 4, 12, this isn't going to be on the screen. You're going to miss a bunch of stuff until the very end, and I'll tell you, Justin, when to pull that out. So just listen close. Hebrews 4, 12 says, For the word of God is living and it's active. I want you to think about that for a moment. It's not just a dusty book. It's not just a bunch of words, okay? It's not like any other book. These are the words of God. It's living and it's active, and it says it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing, this is how sharp it is, to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow. It gets in deep. Anybody ever said some words that just hit you right here? You're like, Whoa totally catches your attention and you are listening right it's like the old if you around in the 80s right the E.F. Hutton commercials oh E.F. Hutton speaks everyone's listening it catches your attention the word of God digs deep it, it touches the heart the soul the joints and the marrow and it says and it, it is and it discerns the thoughts and intentions the motive of your heart the word of god digs in deep and it points it out and it says no you're doing this because you want to get a tv you don't care about blessing your wife right now you want a tv you want what you want that's the motivation of your heart See, the word of God is kind of like this when, when our when our heart is in the wrong place when it's hard packed like that path or there's weeds around it or it's just a bunch of gravel the word of God is kind of like the shovel that goes right in deep what do you have to do if you want something to grow it begins with a shovel you stick it in you break up the soil you remove the rocks and you remove the weeds 
And so when we read the Word of God, when you come to church, when you go to great Bible studies on Daniel, when the guys and I are sitting around at British Bulldog looking at the book of James, it also says when you read the Bible, it's like this mirror behind us, and it points back these things that are there that need to be addressed and dealt with. That's the shovel of God digging in and stirring things up and getting our hearts to be at the proper place that they need to be to honor God and to truly love the way that he's called us to love. I want to give you some rapid-fire verses real quick, and these are not up, so just listen to them. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, you've heard it. Trust in the Lord with all your... And do not lean on your own understanding... Because again, the heart many times is wicked, deceitful. Lean on what? On God. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. I think it will even help you to to keep the pickles back. He'll help you to, I'm going to go and walk in and talk. Hey, you know, trust in the Lord. Trust is key. Luke 12, it says this, Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags so that you do not grow... Provide, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old. And this is what he means by that. With a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. And this is the key part. For where your treasure is... We're getting to there... <laughs> There will your heart be also. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Oftentimes, our treasure is us. Man, I'm going to take care of myself today, and I'm going to get what I want. Or things, stuff. I've worked hard all week. This stuff is for me. Don't touch it where your treasure is. So watch where your treasure is. Is our treasure here or is it on things in heaven? Is it based on what God wants? We have to watch where our treasure is. James chapter 4, 8 says this, draw near to God. I love this, a great promise. Draw near to God, it says, and he will draw near to you. Get close to him, he'll get close to you. And it says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. And it says this, you double-minded. Double-minded. What does that mean? It says, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus. But then I'm going to do this. I'm going to do what I want. Yeah. I'm going to do what I want. And that just packs down the heart when we do that. Our minds have to be renewed. Romans 12, 1 through 2, we've heard this a bunch lately. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Jesus says, I want you to be a living sacrifice. Give yourself to me fully. Do not be conformed to this world. Don't be like the world says. Don't love, in other words, like the world. Love like I told you to love. I showed you how to do it to the point of death. And he says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The way that you think matters. The brain is attached to the heart in so many ways. <clears throat> how we think really affects that. It says that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. And he said to him, Jesus is speaking, you shall love the Lord your God with all your 
with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. He has to have everything. For us, it's that double-mindedness, I love God and I love this. And oftentimes, the this is so much higher than the love that we have for God. You know, what's really cool about this, and we're almost done, is that one of my favorite passages of Scripture is, is about David. I told you last week, David's probably my favorite biblical character. Because he was a guy that had a true passion, a true love for God. And you see his life up close, raw and personal in the Psalms, where sometimes he's angry at God, he's in love with God, he's worshiping God. And it's just, that's, David was started real life, you know? This is me on a plate. Here I am. But David, David started out, as we mentioned last week, with that passion, that strong passion for God. But then he messed up big time. He screwed up big, bigly, as uh, Trump would say, or big time, big league. There we go. All right? Big time in a major way because we see that situation where here he is, you know, when everyone else has gone off to war, gone off to battle, that's what kings are supposed to do, and he hangs back. And he stays back because his heart is in a different place. His heart is not where it was. And he ends up getting into big trouble, gets into that situation of adultery that we mentioned last week. But here's what God has to say about David in Acts 13, 22. It's not going to be up there, so listen. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart. David was called, and we've heard this phrase so many times, a man after God's own heart. And it's not because David was perfect. David messed up big league. He messed up big time. But he was still a man after God's own heart because I believe he knew what it meant to continually allow God to dig the shovel in. A heart after God is not necessarily perfect. David said this in the Psalms after this issue had happened, and he prayed to God. He said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Get the soil back the way that it needs to be. Psalm 51 also, he says this, the sacrifices of God, what God really wants you to give him, what he really wants for Valentine's Day is a broken spirit. Fertile soil, a broken heart. God can use that. God can't plant anything in this. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise that. In Psalm 119, this is a great verse. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, I seek you. This is, of course, I think this is the Psalm of David. I'm not sure. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments, from the things that you say, the things that you're teaching me. I have stored up your word in my heart that I may not sin 
against you. I have stored up your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. The word of God shoved inside, thought on, dwelled on as we're looking at 1 Corinthians throughout the week. Continue to do that if you haven't printed out, put it in front of you. These kinds of things stored up, memorized, kept in the heart, keep the soil soft. They keep it from getting packed down. I have stored up your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Now, this passage of scripture Justin has, throw it up there for me. We're going to be ending with Hebrews chapter 10. When God digs in and he does these things, he also uses all of us together. The the church is put here for a reason. I want us to look at this. In Hebrews 10, 19, it says, Therefore, and let that, after everything we've said today, let this be our therefore as well, okay? Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. What that means is, because of what Jesus has done, the way he's forgiven us, the way he's given us grace, this morning, no matter what you've done, you can hold your head up high. You can lift it up. Because of what Jesus has done. Therefore, since we have that confidence to enter the holy places, you'll walk into church proud because of Jesus' grace, okay? The holy places by the blood of Jesus and by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. This is talking about Jesus' death on the cross. And there used to be this huge, before Jesus died, the, the Israelite system, the way it was set up, was this huge curtain that was between the worshipers and between the most holy place where God was. There was a separation there. Sure, they worshiped him, but they were not into what was called the holy of holies, the most special and close and intimate place that you could be with God. And what happened when Jesus died on the cross, it says that that thick curtain was torn in two and that there was no longer any separation because Jesus had died on the cross for the biggest thing that causes separation, which is a three-little word called sin. He took it away, and he gave us the opportunity to be right up close and personal. And so this is describing that. And it says, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, verse 22, look at it with me. Say it out loud so that you can hear these words today. Cause them, this is a little interaction, get it in your brain, hear it, okay? Verse 22, let us draw near with a true and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This is because of Jesus. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Hold on, in other words, to these words. Hold on to the gospel. Hold on to what Jesus is saying together. Hold on to it. For he who promised is... Say that again. You're lame. Say it again. Thank you. Faithful. When you read the words, when you hear this, stop and think about what they mean. Let's not go through the motions. Let's hear it. Let them get deep. He is faithful. And let us consider. I love this. Let's read this together. Stay with me. Ready? Here we go. Read it. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Stop there. Let us consider, how do we do that? You're not alone. You know, Jeff and I talked about it, and it was kind of a funny story because it's been a long time ago, but if it happened yesterday, maybe we would talk and say, let me help you with that. Man, I've been there where I've wanted to throw the pickles. 
Well, let me consider you. Maybe you could, this next time you can do this. And then he said, okay, well, and I can tell Jeff, this is my situation. This is my scenario. This is, I really just wanted to punch this guy in the face the other day. He's like, well, I've been in that situation. Let me, let me, you know, let me, let me tell you how you can be helped here. This is how you love in that situation. This is how you be patient. This is how you be kind. Remember what it says in 1 Corinthians 13 about this? That, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, okay. We stir up, we encourage one another together to love and to good works. You're not alone. Not neglecting, this is so good, continue to say it with me, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Jesus is coming soon. And what he says is this, don't neglect meeting together. Don't forget about coming to church. Don't forget about going to those small groups and those Bible studies or just getting together for a meal that I missed out on hanging out with the bacheleos. Don't miss things. I mean, there are different reasons we miss stuff, obviously, but those things have to be of high importance. The church needs to come together. The church needs each other. When you feel like you're all alone, you're on the island, so to speak, things just go awry so much quicker. We need the encouragement of the Word of God from, from, from the Holy Spirit and also from people with skin on. We need that, don't we? Nod your head if you agree. Okay, you're just staring at me like... <laughs> don't neglect it. It's the habit of some, but encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Stand with me if you would this morning. I know I'm running late. What's the condition of your heart? You're going to look this week, and you're going to think, darn it, Lance, as you see all these hearts around town, what is the condition of your heart? Lord, where is it? And go to the Lord simply in those moments and say, Lord, I think I need the shovel of your Holy Spirit right now to kind of stir it up. There's some weeds that need to be pulled because, man, I just threw some pickles. (laughs) And I, I don't want to be like that. I want to be like you. I want, a way to love, I want to love the way that you love me. And I want to love it with a true motivation. Lord, help me to be the kind of person that really is willing to give up what I want so that she can have what she wants. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we love you. But Lord, we are so grateful for how much you love us and how you continue to teach us how to love. Lord, be with our hearts right now, I pray. Even if some of us have some soft soil, that you just dig in the shovel, if you will, of your Holy Spirit and stir us up. Give us soft and receptive hearts today for your word. Lord, that you would take control, that we would love the way that you love us. Lord, we thank you for this day and for the awesome God that you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen.